it is, but it's the devil, you know, isn't it? If you feel like you have an understanding of it and it's familiar, but I, I think you're right. It's so much scarier to push yourself to try and do something new, especially something that you don't think you're going to be good at. We really discourage failure or we even see things as failure if you don't get something at the first try in the first instance quickly. And yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done there. And it sounds like you guys already have this fantastic initiative though. I love this kind of pre-declared option so that students can really explore what's right for them. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm back with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Hey, Tiffany. Glad to be here. I hope you never get sick of me greeting you because I hear myself say this week after week, and I always wonder if you're ever going to come back with something a little less than enthusiastic. That could never happen. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> well, on another note, we're welcoming back this week two guests, Katherine Jackson and Kate Ryan. And it's just great to have you back. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Brad. Great to be here. And hi, Kate. Hi. Nice to be here and to talk to you again. Thank you. And to our listeners, if you didn't get a chance to catch part one, please pause here, go back, catch that on the Digital to Learn platform, and then join us again this week for part two. We're going to continue with where we left off on the Digital to Learn podcast. So when I think of STEM students, I think students who are really smart, nerds who like to study, who get good grades, all those things that I deplore. What are some <laughs> of the challenges they face entering higher education in spite of those abilities? In spite of those abilities. Well, I don't think you're the only person who conjures up that image when you think of STEM students, science students, math students. The funny thing is STEM Concepts and computational literacy is foundational and necessary across all topic areas. You need these for life. So when we think about the challenges that STEM students face, it's actually the challenge that all students face when they're going into higher education, which is, do you have the foundational computational knowledge? And are you confident enough in that to take that to the next level and then start using it in applied circumstances or upskill it to the next concept? And a lot of times our students come into university unprepared. So when I go onto campus and I talk to some of our development partners and different students and teachers, there's a lot of variation, not just in their background, but also in their level of confidence in particular topics. All it takes is one teacher who taught something in a way that you can't grasp for you to miss out on an entire concept that will actually hold you back later. So I think the main challenge for all students going from high school or in, in the UK college into a higher education environment is that they're largely going from a controlled taught experience to an experience where it's somewhat self-led and self-directed. And if you don't have the confidence and the computational literacy to pull yourself through, you're going to struggle. And that's the entire reason we wanted to produce Boost. We wanted something to fill that gap and to support students, but we wanted it to be scalable and accessible. Very good. This is just an observation, but we've had maybe just three uh, in the last few years, guests that really focused on digital or computational literacy. And all of them are from the UK. So I find that curious. 
You talked about potentially a bit more investment in the U.S. in terms of digital transformation across the institution, maybe. But it is curious to me that all of our folks who seem to prioritize and study and research and share about digital and computational literacy so far have been from the U.K. So I don't know what to make of that, but I, it's refreshing. That's interesting. In a scientific way, the approach in a scientific way, yeah. I think it is the zeitgeist here. Honestly, I think we're really seeing high levels of attrition. And actually, I think it's probably the same issue in the U.S. as well. I have a very personal experience with this. When I was at university, I took Calc 2 just to challenge myself because I enjoyed STEM subjects. Had nothing to do with my major. But I ended up having to drop the class. And it was because I couldn't risk getting under a certain grade because of my scholarship of my funding. A lot of students have this circumstance because of sports teams or because of the requirements of the parents or their stressors. So I think what you're seeing from the UK is because university here doesn't require the same kind of funding or maybe the same kind of financial pressures, students are staying in and struggling. Whereas in the US, you're probably seeing there's an invisible drop or attrition where students just leave STEM or leave their STEM subjects just so they can continue to pursue their higher education degrees. Fascinating. It'd be interesting to explore that. It could also be because the British education is quite narrowing quite early. So you might want to do STEM studies, but actually have, have not studied math since you were 16. That is possible. And so then you're not going to have those fundamentals. So it might be something around that. I'm going to have to look up your previous podcast. Yeah. That We're going to have to review this. So. It is a really good point, though, Catherine, the specialization so early on. The U.S. system is very different in terms of general modules that you take all the way up through your second year of university. And that's not something that's done here. You specialize very early and drop all other subjects. So that might also be the reason why you're seeing a lot of that. But it is, it's high on the topics list here when you go to conferences and you talk to people at universities. Yeah, we learn, we learn so much every time. I love it. The next question is, is higher education overall making the necessary strides to fully embrace students with disabilities? What have you seen? What's your experience been like? Well, that's a very big question in terms of, I wouldn't want to speak for the whole of higher education in terms of what's being done. And I know that it is an area that a lot of people are working very hard on, which is fantastic. I think from a teaching and learning point of view, there is a lot we can do to be more inclusive and a lot that we can use digital resources for to help with inclusion. Kate, do you want to talk more specifically in terms of video and how that plays into that? Yeah, yeah. I think in the last decade, at least, there have been huge strides in terms of creating standardization for technology to ensure that things are accessible and are inclusive. And I think we've made major leaps and bounds in that regard. I think maybe the piece that sometimes goes missing or the piece that we don't think about, which is less about disability and more about diversity. And mm -hmm. when I say diversity, I'm talking more about diversity of learning types or ways of engaging with new concepts, or even neurodiversity, where you actually need something in a multimedia way that audio is preferable to something visual, or that a textbook isn't as helpful as someone explaining a topic, or the idea that you need to slow something down so you can manage your cognitive load, or you can speed it up because you just need to get to the point 
where you were able to pick up where you left off in class. The idea of catering to diversity, because there's not one right way to learn. And I think that's something that we still have a long way to engage with as an industry, that it's just as effective. There shouldn't be any snobbery around learning from a video or a podcast or audio or an interview than a textbook, even though it's a tried and true offering and it is really successful in many, many ways. There are people who don't learn as well from a textbook and lecture and we should support them and we should provide options for those people as well. So based on what you described about Boost and ProPrep, I would assume that some schools use this as a primary form of instruction in their courses and others might choose to use those same resources in a more remedial way. Is that is that accurate? Absolutely. And the flexibility allows for that. You can use this as a traditional flipped classroom model. You can actually use it in classroom or you can use it as prerequisites to upskill students before they walk through the door. Because of the flexibility, you can really choose how you want to integrate it. But no matter how you integrate it, what we're not trying to say is that this is a better option than textbooks or it should necessarily replace it. Right. It definitely shouldn't replace in-person teaching. Nothing beats sitting with a professor and learning something. And we believe very strongly in that. But there are students who need to take another pass at it, or maybe they need it explained in a different way, or maybe they need to slow it down, or maybe they need to rewind it. And this offers that opportunity for that. So it's about true comprehension and assimilation rather than just a cursory, oh my gosh, I'm trying to take notes as fast as I can because this person's talking at me. That can be really overwhelming, especially for concepts that are more challenging, such as STEM subjects where there is a right answer and a wrong answer, right? Right. And one of the values of video instruction is that you can go to the place that you need to go on that video and listen to it over again Yes, and over exactly. again and over again until you get the concept. 100%. And because we have exercise videos, it just offers this ability for practice and going back and comprehension and really taking in the information because a lot of learning is about building confidence. And I think practice is what creates confidence, getting it right and then being told you've gotten it right and then trying a harder one. That's confidence building because then you feel like you can take that and apply it outside of that particular instance. Very good. Well, in addition to sending our guests a parrot in the mail, we also want to give you the digital to learn magic wand this morning and allow you to wave that magic wand and change one thing in higher education. And history has shown that when people say that out loud on this podcast, those things actually happen. So be careful with what you choose. Oh, I'd love a magic wand. That sounds so exciting. <laughs> it's a tough one. I think. I think students need help navigating and getting the most out of their education. They're investing such a lot of money in it. They're spending a lot of time in it. They have high expectations. And I think we can help them to really get the most out of that, to get the most out of their investment and really demystify the process for them. I've got quite a number of kids and I've seen them go through higher education and you know that they need help with that change into a more self-directed, self-learning environment. And we could do, I think, more to, to help them there and to, to make it clear that that's okay. It's okay to ask lots of questions. It's okay to really explore and ask for help and interact more with 
faculty, with administration in order to get the most out of the process rather than just kind of rushing along with the exams being your focus. That's what I would love to see change. Okay. Well, because you just said it, it's going to happen. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you for making that choice. Wow. I'm sort of getting a head rush with all of the power of my magic wand. (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to be a bit controversial again, similar to my national holiday. I think the thing I would actually change, or I think something that needs attention is this idea or this assumption that university is the step that you take after high school or college and that you have to go when you're 18. And if if you take a different path, it's somehow less valuable or you've compromised your future. University and higher education is a phenomenal opportunity, but there are other phenomenal ways to continue to grow and learn and exercise different types of intelligence. There's physical intelligence, there's spatial intelligence, there's mechanical intelligence. There are all of these ways that we can continue to grow and create a specialization for ourselves and become experts in things that the world needs. I would actually, looking back on my university experience, my undergrad, I think I really would have benefited from experiencing the world a little bit, taking a few years to work for a bit, to travel. There was no other path. The expectation was that that was what I was going to do. But in reality, the learning and the courses that I've taken, you know, I'm I'm currently in higher education again, doing an MBA. And I think I take so much more from my classes now, 16 years out, than I was able to take at the age of 18. And I just, if I could wage my magic wand, it would be to allow students to take a breath and not have to feel like they have to go do that immediately, that actually they can get a lot more out of their education if they get a little more experience of the world and are able to develop and define themselves in different ways. I think that's a great idea. If you talk to most students coming into higher education, they might spout for you, here's my major, but they don't really know what they want very often. That changes so much over those four or five or six years that you're in in college. Yeah. And we end up kind of forcing people into things that they know they can succeed at as well, which I think, again, we're losing out on a lot of talent in STEM fields because we're saying to students, well, you have to get this grade point average if you ever want to be employed. And so they pick subjects that they feel that they can achieve in automatically, whereas STEM subjects could actually benefit from some of the creative generalists that could move into these subjects and offer a lot in terms of their perspective and um, creative ways of thinking that we don't currently have in some of the harder STEM topics and, and disciplines. And I think, you know, I'm a big proponent of the generalist. I think that we specialize very early and actually just getting a lot of experience across the world makes you better at specializing in anything. Absolutely right. For the residential campus at Indiana Western University, where Brad and I work, most popular major for incoming freshmen is pre-declared. And I can't say that that means undeclared because my friends over there would say, no, no, they have a very beautiful philosophical way of explaining what pre-declared means, that it's an intentional choice to wait to actually declare a major, but they have a beautiful program that just invests in students' intentional choice to delay that specialization to gain some more work experience, life experience, some liberal arts at our institution. I love that. What a fantastic initiative to allow students to just explore Mm -hmm. learning and then Mm -hmm. decide, actually, this this makes sense to me. Because I think we'd have a lot more data scientists. I think we'd have a lot more 
doctors if we just allowed people to explore these other sides of concepts that they have some some assumptions about? We have a mutual friend by the name of Bill Miller that we both admire. And he tells the story of talking with a student who's an accounting major. And he said, why did you choose accounting? And his answer was, well, because my dad's an accountant. Yeah. And the follow-up question was, well, does your dad enjoy his work as an accountant? And the answer was, no, he hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you going to be an accountant? <laughs> it is, but it's the devil, you know, isn't it? If you feel like you have an understanding yeah. of it and it's familiar, but I, I think you're right. It's so much scarier to push yourself to try and do something new, especially something that you don't think you're going to be good at. We really discourage failure or we even see things as failure if you don't get something at the first try in the first instance quickly. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done there. And it sounds like you guys already have this fantastic initiative though. I love this kind of pre-declared option so that students can really explore what's right for them. It sounds like our magic wands are working already. I know. I can feel <laughs> These are powerful. We have a couple of minutes left. So I've got one follow-up question for both of you because when we gave you the magic wand and you talked about what you could change, I couldn't help but go back a little bit in time before folks enter higher ed, so a little earlier in their education. Is there anything that comes to your mind right now about what we could do for students when they're in their teenage years to better prepare them, let's say, to be more exploratory, like Kate mentioned, or like Catherine said, that's where I really was thinking about it, to be a little bit more practiced or well-versed in that self-directed nature. If you could go back and help your kids, Catherine, let's say, and put yeah. them experiences, because I personally have that question, like, what could I do, you know, to create a kind yeah. of... I think schools do try and do that with kids now they really do try and expose them to different things to different career paths different ways of looking but the education system is so driven around sort of grades and exams and success is shown in that way that it sort of counteracts the exploration because there's there's so much that kids have got to get through and prove in terms of their abilities and just their grades and their scores, it stops that exploration. So I guess we as parents can really help and sort of putting on the, the whole accounting example, sort of exposing them to as many different people as you can, as many different careers, as many different visiting universities, as many different ways of thinking about both learning and education, but also what you might want to do Industry. when you're working then that's that's really helpful but you don't even realize how narrowing their mm -hmm. lives can be because they do spend a lot of time at school being tested and being pressured to achieve grades mm -hmm. it reminds me even at a corporate level when they say you know we want to be innovators we want everyone innovating but the structure and the systems are unchanged and it's like but you also have to do this this way <laughs> so it's like oh there's an attempt, but just not enough flexibility within that initiative. Yeah, that's right. There were a lot of bureaucracy and ways of being that we stop even noticing after a while. Absolutely. I think we, well, we have the also... power of magic from your wand. We're, We're going to do it. We're going to do it. <laughs> it has been so much fun having you with us today. Thank you. Tiffany, Thank you me. so much. This has been great. Can really you remember any guests, Tiffany, that we've had that have been more delightful than these two? I can't. No, and because it's a duo too, it's just my cheeks hurt from smiling so much, but they are the delightful duo. We need like a little, yeah. you know, naming convention for them. 
Yeah. Little team Catherine. Team Catherine. Oh, come on. K squared. Two Catherines here. K squared. K squared. I love it. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank Thank you guys so much. This has been fantastic. Really enjoyed it. And for all of our listeners, please be sure to check out Catherine Jackson and Kate Ryan's resources that are associated with this show. You can find them on our website, digitaltolearn.com with a numerical two. Also, please like and share our podcast. It's been a while since we've asked you to do that. So if you haven't done it, please take the time now to promote our podcast to others. We can continue in this awesome professional development series for faculty and educators across the globe. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.